0: In the 2004 Olympics, Olympic Games, uh, there was a man by the name of Matthew Emmons, and Matthew Emmons was hands down the world's best in the 50-meter three-position rifle event. Um, He was the heavy, heavy, heavy favorite going into the event to win the gold medal, and he was performing right up to expectations, and it got up to his very last shot. He was one shot away from the gold medal. And he just needed to hit anywhere on the target to secure the gold medal. He was so far in first place and second place was so far behind him, he had just anywhere on the target. And we're, we're talking about an Olympic uh, sharpshooter with a rifle in a 50-meter event. I mean, that would be as easy as like me, you know, like just throwing something and hitting that chair right there. Right. I mean, it's simple. It's almost impossible to mess up. And so Matthew Emmons, he set up for his final shot. He breathed deeply. He squeezed the trigger. He watched the bullet go right through the bullseye. But then to his surprise, he didn't hear the tone sound that typically sounded indicating that there was a hit on the target. He was confused, and a lot of people in the room were confused, and so they brought in the targets to take a closer look, and to his dismay, he discovered that he had struck a bullseye in the wrong target. He was aiming at the target in the lane to his left, and as a result, Matthew Emmons dropped from first place to eighth place and did not medal in the 2004 Olympic Games. Now, thankfully for Matthew, he did win the gold medal in the 2008 Olympic Games, so there was uh, some redemption of sorts. But there's there's an important lesson here. You can have all the expertise in the world, you can do everything right, but if you are aiming at the wrong target, it's all for naught. I don't want our church aiming at the wrong target, and I don't want you aiming your life at the wrong target either. I don't want you living for the wrong thing. In Acts chapter 1 verses 1 to 11, Jesus clearly shows us what direction we ought to be pointing our lives, what we ought to be aiming towards, what we ought to be giving our lives to. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. I'm going to pray and ask for God's help and then uh, we will jump in. Here's what God's Word says. The book of Acts, if you have a Bible, please follow along. It's The book of Acts is after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. Acts 1, 1 through 11 says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, Two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. God, your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves under your word and that your word would would shape our lives this morning, God. I pray that we would be willing to allow you to minister to us, to encourage us, to comfort us, to correct us where we need to be corrected, to convict us where we need conviction. And Lord, ultimately, I pray that you would give us, God, from your word a vision for our lives and for our church that's far bigger than anything we could come up with. God, help us to see how you are at work in the world and that you have given us the privilege of participating in that work as your body. We get to be your witnesses. Jesus, you are the risen king. You are reigning right now and returning again to establish your reign on the earth and the new heavens and the new earth. And we have the good news of the gospel of the kingdom that we need to proclaim to everyone in this city and to the ends of the earth. And so I pray that you would help us do that as a church. Equip us, Lord. Help us to be faithful to do that here in San Antonio. And I pray that in the years to come, there would be many who would be raised up right here in this little local church who would be sent out to the ends of the earth to go be witnesses of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Help me now as I preach, Lord. I'm I'm weak. I can't do anything apart from you. I certainly... uh, can't teach your word unless you fill me with your spirit now. So please help. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we're going to be uh, walking through the book of Acts for a while. We started a new series in the book of Acts and probably up to the, the summer of next year. We'll take some breaks in between. Like We'll take a break for Advent. Um, but that's where we're going to be and I hope to get us to up to Acts chapter 8 by the time we get to Advent. Uh, the book of Acts was written by Luke. Uh, who was a companion of Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he was also a doctor, a medical doctor. Uh, he also wrote the book of Luke, or the gospel of Luke, uh, that goes by his name in Acts. The book of Acts is actually part two of a two-part account that Luke wrote to a man named Theophilus. Theophilus was most likely a Roman official, probably an esteemed official, and he was probably a believer and uh, there are some who think that Luke may have been uh, commissioned by Theophilus to go and to do the research to create, as he says in Luke chapter 1, an orderly account so that Theophilus could have assurance of all the things about Jesus that had taken place. Luke tells us in the first part of Acts here that, that part one of his, uh, his two part um, account of the work of Jesus to Luke covered everything about the life of Jesus up to Jesus' being taken up or ascended. That's what he's referring to. So the book of Luke kind of covers Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection and ascension. And then the book of Acts here picks up at Jesus' ascension. And the book of Acts tells the story of how Jesus continues to be at work in the world after his ascension through his church, through the body of Christ. So the work of Jesus has not stopped just because he's ascended into heaven, he continues to work through his people. Which means that the book of Acts, yes, is history. It tells the history of the early church, but it's more than history. The book of Acts is an invitation. It's an invitation to you, and it's an invitation to me to participate in the work of Jesus Christ that he is continuing to do in the world, particularly the work of reconciling people to himself from among every tribe and tongue and people A nation, we are. If, as it were, we're living in Acts chapter twenty-nine, in Acts chapter thirty and thirty-one, the story continues. And by the way, it is interesting if you flip to the end of Acts and you look at chapter twenty-eight. There's an abrupt ending. There's not like a nice, nice little tidy bow on the end. That's like, and they lived happily ever after. The end. No, it just kind of abruptly ends. And I think Luke does that intentionally because. It's an open-ended story. The conclusion hasn't happened yet. We're still living it out. Now, this passage that we're looking at this morning, this first 11 verses, contain Jesus' instructions to His apostles, and by extension to us, the church, because the apostles are the foundation of the church. They contain His instructions that He gave between His resurrection and His ascension. Jesus spent 40 days with his apostles, and with his disciples. Uh, just before these, uh, the, these, uh, this interaction here in the book of Acts, Jesus had risen from the dead. And right after he gives these instructions, he ascends into heaven. So he is the risen king. And these are his last words before he ascends into heaven. So considering who is speaking here, the one who rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven and is now seated on his throne, number one. And considering when he said these words, like these are some of the last things that he says to his apostles before he rises, I don't know about you, but I would say these are some pretty important words, right? Considering who said them and when he said them. So we ought to pay very, very careful attention to what Jesus is saying here. In this passage, Jesus outlines three things that I want to show you this morning. He outlines the church's priority, the church's purpose and the church's power. The church's priority, the church's purpose, and the church's power. The main point of the sermon this morning, in a sentence, is this God's kingdom is advancing through the church as we bear witness to Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. God's kingdom is advancing through the church as we bear witness to Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. So let's. First, consider the church's priority. What is the church's priority? So, of all the things that Jesus could have spent time talking to the apostles about during those 40 days, what kind of things do you think Jesus would have talked about during those 40 days? Maybe he would have talked to them about what it was like to rise from the dead, or maybe he would have spent time talking to them about loving one another. Or There's all sorts of things, but it's interesting how... Luke summarizes everything that Jesus was talking to them about in verse 3. Look at verse 3 again. It says that Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and then listen here, and speaking about the kingdom of God. Huh. So of all the things that Jesus could have spoken with the apostles about, Luke chooses to summarize it by saying he was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. So clearly, if Jesus thought that the kingdom was that important, that he needed to spend 40 days talking to the apostles about it before he ascended, then it ought to get our attention, right? We ought to consider what is the kingdom of God, and what does that mean for our lives? You know, many people think that the book of Acts is about the church, but really the book of Acts is about the kingdom of God advancing through the church. The church is important. The church is, is God's plan for the advancement of the kingdom, but the church is not the be-all, end-all. It's not the goal, right? Acts, the book of Acts begins and ends with the kingdom of God. Did you know that the, the, the book of Acts starts with the kingdom of God right here in chapter 1, verse 3, and then the last two verses are about the kingdom of God. In Acts 28, 30-31, to 31, the Luke, Luke writes of Paul, so Paul is now on house arrest, he's in Rome, and it says this, it says, he lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, and that's the last sentence of the book of Acts. So Jesus' priority is the kingdom of God, and it ought to be ours too. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, in short, is the rule and reign of God in the hearts of his people. It's the rule and reign of God in the hearts of his people. So, people, every person has rebelled against God as their king and deserves death. That's what sin is. We have disobeyed God's commands. We have not. Worshipped and honored God as he is worthy of being worshipped and honored. So we have rebelled against the king. But the good news of the kingdom is that the king himself, Jesus, came to die for sinners. And then he rose from the dead. And his resurrection means that he gives life to people who deserved death. And he reverses the curse that came as a consequence for our own sin. And his ascension means that he's now seated on the throne. His enemies have been made a footstool under his feet. And it gets better because he's coming back again. And he's going to establish the new heavens and the new earth. And he's going to raise us bodily from the grave. He's going to give us new glorified bodies. He's going to cast out all lawlessness, all death, all sorrow and tears are going to be wiped away. And it will be gone forever and and He's going to dwell and reign with us here on the new heavens and the new earth. That's the gospel or the good news of the kingdom is that there is an end to our sorrow. There is a rescuer who has died for us and risen and is coming back to make all things new. So I'll just tell you, if you are here and you are weary this morning... And you are feeling hopeless and you're wondering what is the point of all this and why am I going through all of this in my life and will it ever get better? I've got good news for you. It can and it will. King Jesus has risen from the dead and he's coming back again to make all things new. That's the good news. That's why it's called gospel. And in the meantime... Before Jesus returns, the king is advancing his kingdom in the hearts of people who hear the gospel and repent and believe and turn to him and begin to serve him as their king. And so the kingdom of God is found in the hearts of God's people and then God gathers those people into local churches which are are like embassies of the kingdom of God or outposts where we live together as subjects of the king so that people, the nations can look in and see a preview of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. That's how it's supposed to be. Obviously, we still have indwelling sin and sometimes Christians do unkingdom-like things, unchrist like things, but that's why we have the gospel. We have a means of reconciliation. We have a means of confession and repentance and restoration when we do sin against each other. You know, this is why Jesus described the kingdom of God like a mustard seed. You remember that parable? Or like leaven in a lump of dough? He said, right now the kingdom of God appears small, insignificant, and weak. It's not impressive. It's not flashy. It's not making the headlines. But one day that mustard seed, Jesus said, will be the largest tree in the garden. And one day when Jesus returns, the kingdom of God will be consummated on the earth and it will overtake everything. But right now, it's not very noticeable. The kingdom of God is most usually found in places that the world's not noticing. The most significant things that God is doing in the world right now are not on the world's radar. But it does not mean that God is not at work. He's at work in the small ways and in the small things. You know, I was just reading an article today. It was just uh, kind of striking uh, yesterday that was striking to me and read in there that uh, in the, the, the Southern Baptist Convention, the convention that we're a part of, did you know that 46% of all SBC churches are less than, the average less than 50 in attendance? 46%. Did you know that there's on, that only 8% of SBC churches... Average more than 250 in attendance on a Sunday. The vast majority of the work of God, and that's true across most denominations, the vast majority of the work of God is happening in small, insignificant places that aren't impressive, that nobody's looking at and going, wow, look at that, that's impressive, that's awesome. But God is at work. God is at work. Since only what is done for the kingdom of God will last... This is what Jesus says should be our priority. And that's the amazing thing. Jesus invites us into that work, into this amazingly awesome thing that he's doing that appears insignificant right now, but one day is going to overtake the earth and we're invited into it. That's why he says in Matthew six thirty-three, Jesus says it really directly that this ought to be our priority. He says, seek first what? That's right. Seek first the kingdom of God. It couldn't be any clearer, could it? Or even consider earlier in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus teaches us how to pray. He teaches us to prioritize the kingdom in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your what come? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying that his kingdom would come on earth. And guess what? That's a prayer that God will answer. It will come on earth. And we're praying that it'll come and break in more and more right now. We want to see people turn to Christ here in San Antonio. We want to see people turn to Christ in other places around the world. That's why we plant churches and send out missionaries. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. We'll get there in a second. The church's priority is the kingdom of God. That's what it should be. Unfortunately, that's not always the case, is it? Sometimes we get sidetracked. We start to prioritize other things, both in the church and individually in our own lives, right? I know I get sidetracked. Sometimes in the church, we start prioritizing the wrong things without noticing. We may prioritize growing our attendance numbers or producing a smooth worship service so that people will be impressed. These things aren't inherently wrong. There's nothing wrong with... Growing a church or having a big church, there's nothing wrong with, you know, executing a worship service well. But they aren't the kingdom. They aren't the kingdom. And when we make them our focus, we'll start aiming at the wrong thing and we'll hit the wrong target. We're off track. Jesus has given us a vision that's far greater than ourselves, a vision that's bigger than our church, that's bigger than Pillar San Antonio. He gives the church a vision of his kingdom expanding in the hearts of people that he's reconciling to himself from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That is our priority. The church is a wonderful gift. I'm so thankful for this church. But the goal is not to make Pillar San Antonio great. That's not the goal. We don't exist for ourselves. God has planted us here for the advancement of his kingdom, both in San Antonio and around the world. And that happens as we plant churches that will proclaim the gospels, the gospel one gospel, sorry that will proclaim the gospel in communities where there are not healthy churches proclaiming the gospel. It happens as we equip the members of this church to proclaim the gospel here in these neighborhoods all around us. And it happens as we help you guys to grow as faithful kingdom citizens. We want God's kingdom to increasingly come in, in our own hearts so that we live more faithfully as citizens of the kingdom. That's the role of the church. The church's role is to help you grow as faithful kingdom citizens, to equip you to go and proclaim the kingdom here, and then to send out laborers to the nations to go proclaim the kingdom there. It, it's, I mean, it's really that simple. That's why we're here. We don't exist for ourselves. So that means that everything that we do as a church, every decision we make about the resources that we spend, about the people that we're going to send out, all need to revolve around kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. What's going to advance the kingdom? Not what's going to you know, benefit just us personally. Not what's going to just help us to grow a big church. Not what's going to like help me you know, become... Yeah, nothing, it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about the king and his kingdom. So This also needs to be true for you on an individual level. Let me me ask you a question. Does the mission of your life align with God's mission? His mission is seek first the kingdom. Is that yours? Is it evident in your life that that is your primary focus on a day-to-day basis? Or have you been aiming at the wrong target? Have you made something else, maybe even a good thing, your career, your family, maybe even ministry? You can even make ministry the focus and be aiming at the wrong thing. And that's seductive and deceptive because it feels like you're aiming at the right thing. It looks like the right target. If you're aiming at the wrong target this morning, I want to invite you to get a bigger vision and fix your eyes back on the kingdom. It's bigger than us. Align your mission with God's mission. And Jesus actually spells out what it looks like to do that in in verses 6 to 8. And this kind of brings us to our second point, the church's purpose. Let me read verses 6 to 8. It says, so when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the disciples thought that Jesus was about to overthrow the Romans and expel all the religious leaders in Jerusalem who had opposed him. But Jesus gently corrected them. He corrected them in verse 7, first of all, by telling them the timing of the coming of the kingdom is not really their concern. You don't need to be focused on that. And secondly, he explained that his kingdom would actually be advanced not by warriors, but by witnesses. Jesus explained that God's kingdom would expand to the nations as the church proclaims the gospel to the nations. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this, this witnessing was to, to be an ever-expanding Reach of the kingdom. It started in Jerusalem, the city where they were located, but it would expand outward to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And many of the people have actually pointed out that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is a bit like a table of contents for the entire book of Acts because that's exactly what you see happen. We see the gospel begin to expand outward to Judea and Samaria in chapters 8 through 12 and then to the ends of the earth in chapter 13 and beyond as we're going to be, and and I'll continue to point that out throughout our series as we walk through the book of Acts. But that work isn't finished. It's still the purpose of the church today. There are still people in our own community and in our country who have never heard the good news about Jesus and His kingdom. As Keith mentioned earlier in his prayer, most people have heard the name of Jesus, but you would be astonished at how many people have never actually had somebody explain the gospel to them before. I encounter them all the time in the community. Whenever we're out in the community, whenever we're sharing the gospel with people, the majority of people that I talk to have never had somebody explain the gospel to them before. The majority of people that I talk to, when I ask them, what do you think about Jesus, describe something akin to works righteousness, and they believe that they need to be a good person and they need to follow the commandments if they are going to go to heaven. That's what the majority of the people in our community believe. Even those who would culturally call themselves Christian. Which means right now they're depending on themselves for salvation. And, they're wearing, and they are shouldering the weight of the entire law of God on their shoulders that they can't shoulder. And there's no way they could ever attain to that. And we have good news for them. They don't have to. Christ died for them. And rose from the dead, and Jesus wants to give them His righteousness as a free gift. It's the gospel, it's the good news, but they don't know it. And how will they know if we don't go tell them? I'm preaching to myself here too. And and I don't know if you've noticed, by the way, but people aren't just flooding in to fill this room to come hear the gospel, are they? They're not, which means what? How are they going to hear They're not going to hear by us running Facebook ads. They're not going to hear by us putting on big giant block parties. The world can entertain people far better than we can. The world has more money. The world has more resources. The world has more of all of that. But what the world doesn't have, they don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't have the good news of the kingdom. They don't have the spirit of God dwelling in them. And we've got to go to them. We have to take the gospel to people or they're going to perish. Apart from Christ. What a tragedy. Think about that. There's church buildings all over this community. God help us if tens of thousands of people continue to march towards an eternity in hell and they live for 50 years in a community surrounded by Christians who never shared the gospel with them. Let's not let their blood be on our hands. And that's biblical language, not trying to be graphic. I'm just quoting the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 28, in Acts chapter 20. Brothers and sisters, we've been entrusted with the gospel, and we have people in our community that need to hear it. And they're not coming in here. We've got to go to them. Lord willing, eventually when people respond to the gospel, they'll be added into the church. But the reason that we do this on Sunday morning is primarily... Not as an evangelistic event. It's to equip you guys to go do the work of ministry. Like that's, what, that's why we gather on Sundays. And we also want to send laborers out to the nations. There are over 3,000 unreached people groups around the world with no churches and no gospel witness in their language. And somebody's got to go. Who says a little church like ours can't go to an unreached people group in the next five years? Why not? Did you know that the previous church that I was at, Pillar Church of Washington, D.C., and I am by no, this has nothing to do with me. This was all God. So let me just preface this by saying this is not because Jared is a great pastor. But that little church has already sent out two missionaries to the nations, and they're a church of about 60 members. 60 members, and they average about the same that we do on a Sunday morning in attendance. They've already sent out two missionaries to the nations, and they have another one that just finished missionary training, and they're about to go, and they've been in existence for three years. Why can't we do the same? Why can't we, why can't we send laborers out to the mission field to reach the nations? We can. Lord willing, we're going to plant a church outside of Fort Cavazos in Killeen next year. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. That's the reason we planted this church. Because there are people in this community and there are people around the world that have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're about the kingdom. And and, and as long as we do that, guys, I want you to hear me. As long as we're about that, I don't care if we're a church of 50 or 200. I don't care. I just want us to do that. And you know what? God doesn't care either. God doesn't care how big our church is. He doesn't. He's just called us to faithfulness. And you're invited to play a part in the kingdom of God coming. Not everybody's going to be excited when we proclaim the kingdom of God, right? Just ask Stephen if everybody's excited about the good news of the kingdom. Right? In Acts chapter 7, Stephen gets stoned to death because people were so angry about what he had to say. Right? But Jesus has promised to be with us always, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And even though we may be maligned or persecuted or rejected, we can bear witness to Jesus with confidence because the message that we proclaim is true. And not only is it true, but the kingdom that we are proclaiming is real and Jesus is really returning to make all things new. And even if our lives are laid down for the sake of the gospel, Jesus is just going to raise us up from the dead. We'll talk a lot more about that as we walk through the book of Acts. So one of the things that I want to do to help us keep our focus on that throughout this series is we have a visual aid that I completely forgot to bring up here. Um, but we're going to put it up afterwards. We'll, we'll probably just put it up next week, but I'll tell you about it now. So we've got like a big water jug, uh, basically. And what we're going to do is I, I want us to begin every time you have a gospel conversation and you share the gospel with somebody throughout the week we're going to have ping pong balls and we're going to put a ping pong ball in that water jug every single time one of you guys shares the gospel with somebody. Okay. And here's one of the reasons that we're doing. Thank you, Jeffrey. Come on. Jeff, my assistant, Jeffrey is going to come on up and bring it up. Let's give Jeffrey a a round of applause. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that, man. So here it is. Yeah. So right here, we're going to have this jug. And so the idea is like, guys, I want us to fill this jug up. I think we could probably fit about 150 of these in here. There's no reason we can't fill this jug up by the end of the year. That's 150 people who will have heard the gospel, who most likely had never heard it before. And we've got white ping pong balls that we're going to put in there. And here's the deal. We can't save a single person. Only God can save. We're just called to faithfulness. And it's up to the Lord what happens after the seed is sown. Okay? And so... We just want to be faithful to go and bear witness. That's what Jesus calls us to do, right? He doesn't say you will you will receive power from the, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and then you will go save people. He didn't say that, did he? What did he say? You will be what? My what? Witnesses. Witnesses. That means you just got to tell people who Jesus is and what he's done. That's That's what he's called us to. And then it's the Lord who saves. And so we're going to... Every time you share the gospel with somebody, put a white ping pong ball in there. And it's going to be a reminder for us, number one, to pray for those people, to pray that those seeds will find good soil and bear fruit and that we'll see people come to Christ. And whenever somebody does repent and believe and is baptized and comes to Christ, we'll put an orange ping pong ball in there, okay? But only God can turn a white ping pong ball into an orange ping pong ball. We can't do that. We're just charged to be faithful. So let's fill one of these up. By the end of the year. Amen. Wouldn't that be amazing to do? Wouldn't that be incredible? And I believe that as we do that, that we're going to be having to use that baptism tank a lot more because I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to maintain the status quo. I don't want to just keep going through the motions and being content to not see people get saved. I want to see people give their lives to Christ. And that kind of leads into the final point that here's the deal. All of this can seem daunting and scary, But that's why Jesus says at the beginning of, uh, what he says at the beginning of verse 8 is so crucial. And this is our last point. Jesus tells us what the church's power is. And the church's power is the Spirit of God. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus has not sent us out to expand his kingdom in our own strength. We can't. The reality is that people are dead in their sins. And you cannot convince a dead man to come to life, no matter how good you are explaining the gospel, no matter how much of an apologist you are. It doesn't matter. You can't raise the dead to life. Ultimately, only God can do that. God works through weak, fallible people like us so that he gets all the glory. So if you're like, I feel so incompetent to be able to do this. Jared, I don't even like, how am I possibly going to do this? You are the perfect candidate to be a witness for Jesus Christ. He, you are the kind of person he is looking for. Amen? So let me just share with you five ways real quick that the Holy Spirit empowers our witness, because you might be wondering, okay, well, how does he do this? Let me just give you five quick ways. Number one, he gives us the desire to see Christ proclaimed. The Holy Spirit stirs us and puts in us a zeal to see Jesus glorified. I think about Paul when he arrived in Athens and it says that his spirit was provoked within him when he looked around and saw all of the idols and his spirit was provoked and he saw all these people worshiping false gods and it compelled him to speak. Number two, the Holy Spirit gives us the same compassion that Jesus has for the lost. Jesus wept over faithless Jerusalem and he has given us his spirit When we're walking in step with the Spirit, He gives us Jesus' compassion for the lost. I think about the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 9, too, where he writes that my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. He was speaking of the the Jewish people that didn't know Christ. He says my conscience bears me witness in the Spirit that I have great sorrow. It was the Spirit of the Lord in him, stirring his heart with compassion for the Jewish people that didn't know Jesus. Third, the Holy Spirit gives us the courage and the faith to share the gospel when we're afraid. Notice I said, when we're afraid, you're you're always going to have fear. If you're waiting for the time when you're not afraid anymore to share the gospel, you're never going to share the gospel. Because that's not going to come. We're always going to have fear. But what do we do when we're afraid? We turn to him and the spirit will strengthen us. In Acts chapter 4, the church was nervous because they had been threatened with persecution if they didn't stop bearing witness to Jesus. They said, don't speak anymore in his name or else we're going to beat you guys with rods and throw you into prison. That's, pretty, that's a pretty stiff warning, isn't it? So what did they do? They prayed. And after they prayed in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, we read that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what? Continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Who gave them the boldness? The Spirit of God gave them the boldness. Fourth, the Holy Spirit gives us the right words to say in the moment. In Mark 13, Jesus taught us not to be anxious about what to say if we're brought before the authorities on account of the gospel. The Holy Spirit gives us the words to say in those moments. And I believe that applies to any opportunity to bear witness to the gospel. One of the things that keeps people from sharing the gospel is what if I, somebody asks me a question that I don't know the answer to? What, I don't feel like I know enough about the Bible. What if somebody stumps me? The Holy Spirit gives you the words to say in those moments and it doesn't depend on your good answers to their questions, whether or not they're saved. It just depends on your faithfulness to be a witness And God works through weak people. We don't have to have all the answers. Jesus said in John 6, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The fifth way the Spirit helps us is that He causes our witness to be effectual. In Acts 16, Paul and his team went to Philippi, and they shared the gospel with a group of people at a riverside, and one who heard them was a woman named Lydia. And Acts 16, 14 says that the Lord opened her heart. To pay attention to what was said by Paul. Do you notice that? Paul, the words, Paul was the one speaking the words out of his mouth. But it was the Spirit of God who took the words that Paul was sharing and opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to them so that she was saved. Right? And so, like in our weakness, as we're sharing the gospel, God, the Spirit, somehow, this is a mystery how it happens. We don't fully understand it, but the Spirit of God takes the gospel as it's coming out of our mouth, and He causes it to be effectual and to change the hearts of people as they hear it. One clear illustration I have of this in my own life is... um, I had a coworker. I was working, this was when Jen and I, I think, were engaged or newly married. And I, I, we had not moved to Canada yet to plant our first church. And uh, I was working at an Enterprise Rent-A-Car. And I had a, an employ, uh, a coworker named, uh, well, I won't say his name. I just had a coworker. And um, I had been having some gospel conversations with him. But I, I'd never really like just intentionally sat down and been like, hey, man, here's the gospel. I, you, you need to repent and believe and turn to Christ. And I just felt compelled like convicted by the Spirit that I needed to have a direct conversation with him. So I called him one day on our day off. I said, hey, can we meet? I, just, I, I have some things that I really need to share with you. So we met at a Chick-fil-A, and I don't even remember if I was planning on sharing this uh, passage with him or not or if it came in the moment, but I remember that the Lord very clearly just compelled me to share the, the story of the prodigal son from Luke 15 with him it's at, at one point in our conversation. And I began to share the story of the prodigal son, and I, and, and I guys, it was one of the most amazing things. I watched as I was sharing that story with him and reading some of the passages of Scripture, I watched as his face began to change, his eyes began to soften, his shoulders began to relax, and tears began to well up in his eyes. And I just began to watch as the Spirit of God began to work in his heart and in his life. And right there in that Chick-fil-A, he surrendered his life to Jesus and gave his life to Christ. And I watched the Spirit of God just miraculously do a work, and I had no idea that was going to happen. I was praying it would happen. I was praying that he would give his life to Christ. But apart from the Holy Spirit, that never would have happened because there's been many times where I've shared the gospel with people and that hasn't happened. There have been times I've shared the gospel with people and they've been angry at me afterwards. Not too typical, but sometimes. The point is that it is the Spirit of God who causes our witness to be effectual. And the way that we're going to rely on the Spirit, chiefly, is through prayer. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because we're going to talk about it a lot in the coming weeks. But one of the things that I uh, feel very convicted about, that, and I know all the elders feel this, Andrew, Keith, John, and myself, we, we need to get serious about prayer. We need to get serious about prayer in our own individual lives, and we need to get serious about corporate prayer. Here's, what I, here's all I'm going to say on this right now. Um, I'm convinced, so we have, we have monthly corporate prayer gatherings called Second Sunday Prayer, the second Sunday night of every month. My desire is that that would be the best attended thing that we do every single month. And I'm pretty convinced that until we're able to fill that prayer meeting up on a regular basis, we're not going to see the move of God that we all long to see in this city. That's not going to come until we get desperate and we get on our knees and we plead with the Lord, God, we want you to come and do a new thing in this city. We want you to cause streams of living water to flow in the desert because it's not going to happen in our own strength or in our own wisdom. And so one of the things I want to encourage all of you all to do, especially the members of this church, is take a look at your calendar and start marking off the second Sunday evening of every month and just going, you know, we're going to be there. We're going to prioritize praying together with the body of Christ and beginning to beg God and call out to God for, uh, together to see a movement of His Spirit come in this city that nobody can deny. It's a work of God. Would you all be willing to do that? Can we fill that prayer meeting up? I think we can. I think we can. It's a, it's a one Sunday night a month that we can give to God. And then in your personal devotions, if you're not praying, every morning when you wake up, wake up earlier. I, this goes back to, seek, what are you seeking first? The kingdom or your career? The kingdom or entertainment? The kingdom or more rest. Uh, God has laid out this invitation to us. Don't aim at the wrong target, brothers and sisters. Give your life to something that's actually going to last. That's going to outlive these bodies that are breaking down. Let's seek first the kingdom of God. Our priority is the kingdom. Our purpose is to proclaim the word of God, and our power is the spirit of God. So, I just want to transition to a quick announcement uh, in light of everything we've just said. Since the kingdom of God is our vision and the proclamation of the gospel is our mission, we've decided to make a small move that we think will help us focus on that better. So we're going to be moving from this room to the cafeteria next Sunday which is if you're facing the building where you parked, it's going to be on the right-hand side. So I guess there's the door, so it's that way, okay? So it's actually the main entrance to the school. So next Sunday, you're going to probably want to park a little bit farther down that way. It's the entrance that's a little bit farther down. Uh, The elders uh, of the church have made the decision to begin meeting there because we believe it'll help us to be better able to focus on Jesus and His Word during worship, and it will also be a better environment for fellowship with one another. Um, it's, it's, it's just brighter. Um, it's a little bit of a smaller space. It's more intimate. Uh, it's flat. I'm not going to feel like Moses on Sinai, like speaking down to the people. I really don't like being up here like this. I, I want to be like with you guys. I, I want us, we're a body. I want us to feel Feel like a body of Christ, right? And not like there's a stage with performers and then there's a bunch of people watching. That's just not the the vibe we want to put across because it's not who we are, right? I mean, you just heard it. Um, And so we believe that moving to the cafeteria is going to help us towards that end. And so um, I would, uh, yeah. Uh, Just encourage you to make sure, remember to park over there and maybe come like five minutes earlier than you normally do uh, because I think logistically, you know, just trying to find where to go and things like that, it might be helpful if you get here about five minutes earlier next Sunday, okay?